I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Anoush, and on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by the Labour MP for Kingston-upon-Hull East, Carl Turner, a former Shadow Attorney General who has also held the shipping, aviation and road safety brief in recent years. He's been dealing with P&O ferries in his constituency for years, and in recent days has been at King George Dock, giving the country updates on the situation for the company's crew members, when 800 of them were laid off with no notice last Thursday. Now, Carl, thanks so much for joining us. I know it's been an incredibly busy few days for you. And I was following your tweets and interviews on Thursday when I was covering this story when it was breaking. You were actually in touch with workers on board the Pride of Hull ferry who were refusing to disembark. The unions had advised them to stay on board until the terms of their redundancy were clearer. What stage are they at now in terms of that standoff? And are you still in constant communication with those workers? First of all, thank you very much for having me on, Anoush. Look, it's a constantly moving, very fluid situation. I was at King George Dock on Thursday. As it happens, my little girl, Stella, was poorly enough school. So for a time, I boarded the vessel, the Pride of Hull, and I was tipped off by one of the officers that the captain had given the order and instruction to his crew to lift the gangway. So for a time, I was incredibly nervous thinking that I could be locked on aboard the vessel for several weeks. I got off rather quickly, but then went onto the quayside and spoke with some of those agency workers who were there Mm. to replace the crews. And it was clear to me that they didn't really have a clue what was happening. They'd been told, in fact, that they were joining a brand new ship and would be the first maiden voyage, the first crew to sail on the vessel. Wow. And that's not true, is it? It's untrue. And they were very confused. And frankly, when it began to sink in what was happening, many of them decided they weren't prepared to effectively go on board and try and replace British seafarers with themselves. And I think it was at this point that you posted a photo of the coaches of agency workers sort of waiting to replace the crew that was still on board. Did you get an idea of who these agency workers were and and where they came from? Well, I was alongside the vessel and I was speaking with a long-standing seafarer, this chap who wants to remain nameless because he's very fearful of Mm. potentially losing any redundancy that the company are offering. But he said to me, he joined the predecessorship to the Pride of Hull when he was 17. He'd been working for the company, its predecessor, North Sea Ferries, mm. uh, as he put it, man and boy. He's 18 months from his retirement and all of a sudden, without any notice, he's told he's sacked with immediate effect. I've got to tell you, he was in floods of tears, incredibly emotional. 
and very angry at the crew who were waiting to join the ship. But look, he realised, having spoken with me for a few minutes, that it's not their fault. They didn't know what they were there to do. And in fact, they are the ones who are being exploited just as mm. much as those British seafarers. It's a real tragedy, this. But look, I've been going on about this for many years, not yeah. just as the shadow minister responsible for maritime, but also as a, an MP in Hull where those p ships have always existed. And the problem is the national minimum wage legislation doesn't apply on international routes. Now, through many years of lobbying the government, the government finally gave in June 2020 to accept that the national minimum wage must apply on UK-only routes. So if the vessel is going from, let's say, Hull to Liverpool, or indeed Hull to Aberdeen, as an example, the mm. national minimum wage on those routes now does apply. But what I said at the time in June 2020 is, look, we were always lobbying about that, but we wanted mainly to ensure that there would also be affected on international routes. And the government, for whatever reason, refused to do that. I know what the reasons are. Mm -hmm. Speculating, of course, because it's never been said formally, but it's because they are lobbied very heavily by ship owners not to do that. The reason being Filipino crew member or Portuguese or an Eastern European, or indeed Indian, because they're using Indian agencies in Dover now, yeah. are on something in the order of about £1.80 per hour, where a British oh. rating is on an awful lot more than the national minimum wage. Wow, that's shocking. So I suppose the way that these workers were treated last week, told they lost their jobs via a pre-recorded Zoom video that, that morning, although it shocked the country, I think, it probably can't have been that surprising for you because you have revealed in the past that they've hired agency workers on, on those below minimum wage rates. Yeah, and the problem is it's confusing because the ITF, which is effectively the sort of police force for maritime, sets an international minimum rate. Mm -hmm. And they set that rate internationally, globally, at $1.99 per hour. So Pedro Ferry's answer is, hang on, we always pay above the minimum rate. Well, we're not talking about the national minimum oh. wage. They're referring to the, what the standard global rate is internationally. So they're sort of not been very truthful when, well, in fact, I would go as far as to say they've been dishonest when they say, we pay above the minimum rates. People just take that as gospel and believe that they're paying above the national minimum wage. It's not true. They're exploiting these people. I've spoken with Filipino crews who sailed on the Zeebrugge routes out of all before mm. Pino Ferries decided to close those routes recently. And it's not just the rates. It's not just the hourly rates, which is a real problem. It's the terms and conditions. So let me give you an example. The Pride of Hull sails Hull Rotterdam to Hull. Mm. The sister ship is the Pride of Rotterdam. The Rotterdam is crewed mainly by foreign agency workers. Now, on the Pride of Hull, the British ratings work two weeks on, two weeks off. The same for the officers. It's long shifts when they're on, by the way, and it's mm. hard graft. But they get that two weeks rest breaks. Now, their counterparts, the foreign agency crews who are terribly exploited, are not just on £1.80 an hour, many of them. They also work eight weeks constantly 
12-hour shifts constantly, Monday to Sunday and back again for that eight-week period, and then they have two weeks rest break. Now, if they're from the Philippines, frankly speaking, on two quid an hour or less, they've not got the money to be able to fly back from where they've come, so they take up really cheap, poor quality accommodations, very often in hostels in the city. I've known it where in the summer season, I've raised this with ministers privately, they actually pitch tents to keep in for that two-week rest break. It's utterly appalling. I've described this as slave labour on the high seas. I, right. I don't mean to sound dramatic when I say that. I actually believe that's what's happening. That's really shocking. And I suppose there's a chance that far more crew members will now be doing similar things if the Pride of Hull is replaced with these crew. I think the RMT union rep has said that Eastern Europeans will be hired on hourly wages of between 260 and 280 on Pride of Hull. I think, is that your understanding too, that they're going to be on those wages? Well, well I'm told it's $260 US dollars. Right. Oh, okay. Um, right. So mm. I think it's about just less than two quid is what they're saying. And they're very often, if they're not ratings above deck, if the sort of stewards and kids mm. and staff, they rely very heavily on generous people tipping them. I think that's how they sort of try and carry on. But even so, it's desperately poor wages. But the actual conditions themselves really scare me. You know, I've been involved in, is it through interest and through family connections. My father was a full-time union official for the National Union of Seamen. He ended his career with the trade union in, I think, 2000 as the National Secretary representing seafarers. You know, historically, these businesses have not been brilliant employers, but they've always had a regard historically for the, you know, and a respect for British seafarers. Mm. But it wasn't too many years ago, tragically, when the Herald of Free Enterprise went down, and it was said in the inquiry that was due to crew fatigue. Now, I think the chap was called Mark Stanley, who was a boatswain on the ship who was responsible for shutting the bow doors. Now, the inquiry effectively said, through absolute fatigue, because mm. there wasn't proper shift changes, because there wasn't proper rest breaks, this terrible disaster came to be. Now, that is a real worry for me, because if you've got uh, foreign agency crews working 12-hour shifts without breaks, doing eight weeks constant graft without any rest, I think a terrible disaster is potentially going to happen. And that is something that we must try and avoid as well. Absolutely. And, and before I move on to the next question, I should say that P&O has been briefing that these hourly wage figures that we've just been discussing aren't accurate, but it hasn't said what the agency workers are being paid. You mentioned something has to change to avoid a potential disaster, but also to avoid the exploitation of these workers. What needs to change? What would Labour change in the law? Well, before I say that, Anoush, can I just say something about PO? Look, we've got documents. The RMT union have got documents and contracts of those Filipino crews, mainly Filipino crews, who are paid £1.81 per hour. The actual rate is $2.40 US mm -hmm. per mm -hmm. hour. Now, if P&O Ferries want to come along to me and prove to me 
that what I'm saying and what the RMT union is saying, then fine, I'll be prepared to accept it, but I want to see it. What they never do is tell you what they're actually paying. We can only go on what the crews themselves leaking to the RMT union. Now, you asked me about what Labour can do. Look, in this scenario, what we see is the government have got a lot of leverage here if they want to use it. We've got multi-million pound lucrative contracts with P&O Ferries as a government. We are contracted with DP Well, the parent company, on free ports. I think the Southampton and the Thames one. Yeah. I think the government have given grant funding for those free ports in recent weeks, just literally recent weeks. Something in the order of £25 million free port, British taxpayer money. During the pandemic, P&O Ferries received £15 million of furlough money and grant funding on top of that for pandemic compensations. The P&O Ferries say the routes are not profitable. I don't believe them, frankly, because 12 years as an MP for East Hull, I've had numerous meetings with P&O Ferries and indeed meetings with senior executives of that business with ministers present. And I don't remember ever once them saying to me, actually, we're very worried about the fact that the route's not profitable. What's profitable on those routes is freight. That is mm. where they make the money. Passengers, foot passengers particularly, don't really turn much of a profit. You know, they have end parties and stag do's and what have you. Vehicles going on board is an expensive thing sometimes, but still it's not massively profit-making. When you get to the trucks, then the profit begins to kick in. So it's mainly made through the freight. Now, freight is increasing week on week, month on month, year on year. And indeed, the government, during the pandemic, drew up special contracts with P&O ferries to increase the amount of freight the government were contracting with them to bring goods in from the continent, especially PPE and other supplies for that pandemic. So to say that they don't make a profit, I think is untruthful. If the P&O ferries want to come back to me and prove it to me, I'm prepared to be corrected and I'll correct the record. But I don't believe them, frankly. And indeed, DP Weld paid out last year and the year before around £270 million in dividends to mm. its shareholders. It paid, I think, £150 million quid to sponsor a golf tournament recently. And at the same time, it says it's got an 150 million quid deficit in its pension fund. I mean, this company is deplorable. There's no doubt about that. I think they've done a terrible PR job for themselves because people are contacting me and saying, look, I'll never use them again. And I think, tragically, they've ruined their own brand so much that if they reinstate and they should reinstate each and every one of these 800 men and women British seafarers, when they do that, and I think they will, because they'll have to, they'll probably need to rebrand, frankly. Hello, it's Alva here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. At the moment, you can subscribe from £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to www.newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer.
From the New Statesman World Review comes France Elects, a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok, and over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I was going to ask you, because of your heritage and the heritage of the constituency, how you feel emotionally about the way that British seafarers are being treated. I mean, what does it tell us about Britain today? I feel incredibly sad. Well, my father was a seaman. He left school at 16. He went to sea pretty soon after. He had an industrial injury at sea, which made him come on to shore. And he became a full-time union official very soon after, he was the full-time union official from 1971, the year I was born until 2000 when he retired as the national officer. But in those days, people were encouraged, kids in schools were encouraged to pursue a career at sea, and there were really good careers at sea. We had a fishing industry in Hull, which was very difficult work, long hours and very dangerous work. And it was not very organized in terms of their employment. They were all sort of casual workers without any real employment. It was sort of the early days of zero hour contracts, but the merchant Navy was organized. It was unionized. It Mm. was well-respected. It was well-regarded. And people at school, lads and lasses in schools in Eastall, who have the ports shadowing them look towards those ports and think, I'm never going to get a career at sea because, frankly, they don't employ people from this area to do those jobs. And it's absolutely tragic for me. And as I say, you know, we used to, not so many years ago, have great respect for British seafarer ratings. And in my parliamentary office, I've got this stunning painting of the MV Nolan, which is the predecessor ship to the Pride of Hull. In those days, it was North Sea Ferries. It's now P&O Ferries. But that ship, two weeks from today, sailed off to the Falkland Islands to supply uh, materials and goods to the Navy and British soldiers. I've got a picture of her in my office under heavy artillery fire. And in those days, we respected our British seafarers. We don't now. That picture was given to my father by a bloke called Don Ellaby, who was the captain of the ship when she went to the Falklands. And he's presenting it in another photograph to my father, 
Jim Slater was the General Secretary of National Union Seaman at the time. There's Don Ellaby in the middle, and to the left of Don Ellaby is John Prescott. And mm. then next to John Prescott is Harry Woodford, who was the Lord Mayor of Hull at the time. We was really respectful and patriotic about the fact that we had a brilliant British seafaring community and officers, as well as ratings. It's a tragedy that these businesses treat these British workers with such utter and complete contempt now. Thank you. And just one last question. During the EU referendum campaign, the argument from the pro-Leave side was that it would bring an end to cheap labour from Europe. And actually, the RMT union itself said this was undercutting local workers. And last year, during the lorry driver shortage, Boris Johnson was saying Brexit Britain was transitioning into this high-wage, high-skill economy. I mean, this PNOK surely shows that neither of those things are true in Brexit Britain, doesn't it? Canoosh, what I want to say to you is, for good or bad, we've left the European Union. The Labour Party under Keir Starmer, in fact, I think under any leader, would be definitely not wanting to try and rejoin the European Union. That argument has gone. The ship sailed, if you will. Uh, <laughs> and the tragedy is, you're right, Peter O'Ferry say they're not making the profit they used to make. Well, partly because the fact that we've left the EU and they've tried to say that they're not making a profit, and that's partly to blame. They also blame the pandemic, of course. But mm. also, there are some other issues in relation to the fact that we've left the EU. This business hasn't consulted. It's not taking notice of any of the domestic legislation which applies in terms of redundancy, consultation and everything else. But under EU law, there would have been a requirement to consult. Now, it wouldn't have been as strong as our domestic legislation. The tragedy is the government are now going away and getting legal advice to see if those legislations apply to international routes. Right. The EU law regulations required consultation per se. Now, those regs have not been grandfathered across into domestic oh. legislation. And I spoke with Grant Chaps about this last Thursday, and he said he thought I was right, but he would have to go uh, away and check with his officials. Now, right. it wouldn't have mattered much because I think P&O Ferries, the type of predatory capitalist or a business that they are, frankly, that's what they are. They're a disgrace and they ought to be ashamed of what they've done. They would have ignored it in any event. So I'm not suggesting if we'd have been in the EU, everything would be rosy. That's not yeah. so at all. But at least those protections existed under EU regs. And sadly, you're right to say the RMT campaign to leave. Look, as I said, for good or bad, we are where we are. We've got to get on with it and make the best of it. Thank you so much for joining us and for taking us through the story, Carl. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more from you in future. Thank you. Thanks, Anoush. We put the specific allegations made by Carl Turner to P&O Ferries, and they have yet to respond by the time this podcast has come out. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian. We're produced by May Robson and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.